preaching tonight out of our uh, PM preaching series, Saving the Saved. And if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, we, last week, Brad Pond did the most incredible message about believing in Jesus. And so the heartbeat of it, sorry if you, if you haven't been to any, the heartbeat was, um, we did a, in May, we did a preaching series on saving the unsavable. And it's the third year in a row we've done it, and it's kind of a testimony month of people at some point in their life, if you met them, it, you would find it very hard to believe they would ever be Christians, they would ever go to church, that they would be members here, and God saved them. God drastically and lovingly just filled their heart with His truth and His, His presence, and, and now they're you know in love with Him and doing really well in life, and so... That was a contrast. If they're, they're people who have been out of church, who have come into church through God's grace. Uh, Brad was saying, how about people who have raised in church and not just getting to know church, but how do we know that they've encountered Jesus Christ and they're actually born again, saved? And I don't know about you, but I think that's a massive topic. I, I think that one of the, the greatest challenges in the Western world is helping people see that we are not saved through uh, being a Christian and ticking Christian on the census. We're, we're saved through the person of Jesus Christ. Massive difference. And so sometimes because we're, you know, I think we're a post-Christian nation. However, there's still that influence still there. There are still the remnants of people calling themselves Christians based off what they do or don't do. I live this way, so I'm a Christian. I think there's a God, so I'm a Christian. That's not a Christian. A Christian is someone who, Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life. And so uh, we just want to do a six-week preaching series. It all comes out of 1 John. Every one of the six points comes out of 1 John. And I can't stress enough, just in case I don't word it uh, well enough for the rest of tonight, the goal of this is not to make you feel really bad or question whether you're saved or not. I, I don't want that. But what I'm trying to do is give these signs that the Apostle John gives to assure you that you have encountered the saving love of God. He even says at some point in your life, there's going to be a, a, a few of these that you're going to doubt. But it's just an anchor. There should be an anchor in you, a confidence in you like, no, no, no. I, I've definitely encountered Jesus Christ. I've definitely encountered his truth. And so the first week we looked at um, how First John says those who are born of God hate sin. Uh, last week, Brad brought up those who are born of God believe in Jesus. It's a great contrast, the difference between, hey, you can say you believe in fitness, but the people getting up in the morning to go for a run, their actions show they really believe in fitness, where the rest of us sleeping in and eating Maccas and stuff like that, like me, hey, uh, we, we, we can say we believe in fitness, but the proof's not in the pudding. And so the thing there with Jesus, you can say you believe in Jesus, but your lifestyle will determine the weight of your statements. And so I think that was a great point. And tonight, it's going to have some similar elements to my uh, message two weeks ago. But I really want to, I want to kind of demystify this word if I can. Uh, but what we're looking at tonight is those born of God live a holy life. Live a holy life. If you're taking notes, First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. 
But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Massive, right? Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we love you. We thank you tonight that your truth would speak to us. Your love would fill us again. Holy Spirit, use us. Help us see clearer what it truly means to live a holy life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, I'd love to demystify this word of holiness. I don't know about you, but I did grow up in church. And growing up in church to be a holy person, I thought was like untouchable. I would think about myself as like, you know, a 13, 14-year-old and be like, man, I'm a rat bag, but that person, they're holy. And when I say the word holy, I'd almost mean flawless. Like that's what I'm picturing when I'm saying the word holy. When I'm hearing the word holy, I'm thinking perfect. And I think that that God's uh, 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 encouragement and, and motivation and pushing us to live a holy life is not that. I don't think he wants us to strive, don't stuff up, don't think any bad thoughts, don't be angry at the the person driving horribly next to you, just, uh, uh, and you just pent up frustration. I don't think it's that. I think it's discovering something worth chasing and chasing it down. And when you discover something that is holy and you, you, you fall so in love, you're so captivated by it that you chase it down, Suddenly you start to become what you're staring at. Suddenly you start to become everything you're filling your mind with, everything you're filling your eyes with, everything you're filling your heart with, you will naturally start to become that. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't hate it. We shouldn't resist it. Once again, I, I remember, okay, how many people played like soccer or a, a team sport growing up? Team sport. I remember so many times I did under six, seven, 9, 10, 11, 12 in like soccer and football. And so many times in my younger years in soccer, you'd rock up and the other team wouldn't have enough players. And they're like, all right, kids. So uh, one of you guys, you know, to make it fair and even out the numbers, because we're all here just to have fun, you're going to have to play for the other team. And you're like, oh, gosh, please don't pick me. And you're hiding behind everyone. They're like, okay, Dan, you can go and play for the other team. And you spend the rest of the game like begrudgingly like playing like, kick it to me, kick it to me. And then the kick, you're like, oh, out, sorry, guys, you're throwing. <laughs> and and you, you hate it though, you're begrudging. And, and you, you sit there on the other team longing to be back on the team you once were on. And sometimes we Christians see holiness that way, like, oh, now that I'm a Christian, can't do what I used to do. It used to be so fun. I used to go out and drink and party and do this. My friends are still doing it. Look at, you know, on Instagram and Facebook. They're having fun. They're, they're doing this and they're posting photos. That looks so fun. But now I'm a Christian. I can't do those cool things. And I've got to be at church to serve on the media team tomorrow morning. And so, you know, I'm not going to go out because God doesn't want me doing that. And I've, I've got to be at church tomorrow. And, and uh, I'm a Christian now. We begrudgingly think that living a holy life, it, it's, it's boring. We think that we, it, there's nothing to be desired in it. It's like, I want to do this, but God wants me to do this, so I guess I'll do that. It's completely wrong. Completely wrong mindset. Instead, the best way I can describe it is I remember when I was a single guy. Uh, yep, Christian, in church, things like that. And I remember being single and loving being single. If you're single here and you're longing to be in a relationship or married, let me encourage you. It's great, but also enjoy it right now. I, 
I remember when I could surf when I wanted. I remember when I could spend my money on what I wanted when I wanted. I remember I could watch whatever movie I wanted. I remember I could do what I wanted because I'm single, right? And I loved it. And then when I met Han and fell in love and we were looking at marriage, just this is the way to think about it. It wasn't like, oh, dang it, I've got to give up that and old ball and chain. I mean, I'm getting older in life. You know what I mean? Like, I better get married. It's a cultural thing to do. And so I'm like, all right, do you take it? I guess. <laughs> Till death do you part. Do we have to say that part? It's like, okay. And that wasn't it. Even though I loved that lifestyle, I discovered something I loved more. And as I discovered something I loved more, I joyfully said, I don't want that anymore. I want that. I started pursuing a healthy relationship and marriage. And see, that is a better picture of you and Jesus. It's not that your old lifestyle, you didn't enjoy it. It's not that your old lifestyle, you didn't have fun. But if you've encountered not just church, but Jesus Christ, you've discovered something so much better. And if it's not better to you right now, I would have to say that you've discovered an institution and not a saviour. If, you've, if you're still longing for that old lifestyle, I don't think you've truly discovered what it means that in His presence is fullness of joy. I don't think it discovered what it means that you were de- deserving eternal punishment and death, and He loved you so much, He took that away. He took that punishment on the cross so you could go free. I don't think you've fully got it yet, but when you get it, whew, I don't want to chase those old desires anymore. Like Peter said, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. What's he saying? You know better now. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than your own desires. That is holiness. Wow, Jesus, you're better. You're better than me doing X. You're better than me doing that. You, you're better than me doing that what I experience, what I feel, what I encounter in that moment, you're better. So I want you. I'm choosing not to do that to say yes to you. This is starting this life of holiness. And so I think as we get into this life of holiness, the rest of life I've always you know, had in my head is, well, will it be very natural and, and easy to me or will I have to fight and choose to do it often? And I kind of want to say tonight, we're just going to look at some scriptures. I want to say both. God wants to change your natural desires. And every single day, you're going to have to make choices to back up and stay on this holy lifestyle we're called to. I want to talk about natural desires. He changes our natural desires. Psalm chapter 37 verse 4. You guys will know it. I'm going to touch on a bunch of scripture you guys know tonight because I want you to catch this balance of it's not all God, it's not all me, it's us together. Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now we've, we've looked at this so many times but just another reminder, this isn't talking about fleshly desires because once again you've given up that lifestyle. What he's talking about is he'll give you new desires. Delight yourself in God. What does that mean? God, you're so good. You're amazing. I am experiencing joy, delight in you. 
worship, in your word, in your community, in your church. I'm experiencing joy in you. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit is changing your desires. Suddenly you start longing for different things. Suddenly you start naturally not craving that and craving that. Once again, the old Puritans in the 18th century used to have this statement. I love it so much. Unless Christ is sweet to you, sin will not be bitter. Christ needs to be sweet. Jesus, I crave it. I delight in you, God. And until I get that, sin won't be bitter. And so we start to see that God is changing our desires. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Once again, you guys know this. I'm just trying to help you fully catch this wonderful work God is doing right now. We were going through this with our interns uh, the other week. We've actually been going through a bunch this year with our interns, which is a lot of fun. Just the constant wrestle. I keep bringing them back to this one wrestle. Is God sovereign or do I have a a massive responsibility to do here? And I'm like, both. (laughs) Every single aspect of life, we're looking at all these passages in Scripture and we just keep having this wonderful, um, robust discussion around the the hand of God at work in everything and the responsibility of you and I as the body of Christ. They're both in play. And I think the only damaging thing for um, Christians... I haven't seen it in our church, if I'm in all honesty, but certain denominations I look at, the only damaging thing is they, they jump to one side. And so they think, well, God's so sovereign that we don't have to evangelize and we don't have to you know, tell people about Jesus and we don't have to give money to the poor. God's sovereign, he'll take care of it. And like he's called us to be his hands and feet. And other people are over here like, God's not sovereign, but he'll do what I tell him to do if I have faith. You've heard that. And that. That's very wrong as well. God is at work and we have a role to play. And so that's the balance to see in every aspect of our life. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Hey, Christians, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard. Christian, you work hard obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Some of your virgins say work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But catch this. Verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Does that give you confidence like it gives me confidence? A Christian, God is working in you. He's not just sending you out there and saying, now be perfect, be holy. You better be a good boy and girl. He's not saying that. He's at work in our heart. Giving us the desire, I desire to do what pleases you, and power to do what pleases him. That right there is absolutely massive because it, it should make you feel not alone. I think that's the most daunting thing I felt growing up in church was, man, I, I've got to really do a lot. I feel alone in this and it's all, it's all on me now. It's all on me. How, how I say no to this and how I say no to, to greed and to anger and to lust and to jealousy and to all, wrath, all these different things. I've got to constantly say no to that and say yes to, to love and purity and Jesus and blah, blah, blah. Oh, man, that's a lot of pressure. The pressure's off a lot when you know that God is with you right now, working in you. 
How's this? We looked at this recently for our Genuine Love campaign. This is God changing you, right? We're looking at God changing your natural desires. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 and 26. I will give you a new heart. That's in a moment. That's in a moment. And I will put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you. That is such a massive truth you need to catch right now, Christian. Right now, God's spirit is in you. So that you will follow my decrees. That's huge. And be careful to obey my regulations. God's saying, you can't do it by yourself. God is saying it. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own ability. You cannot do it. So I'm going to put my spirit inside you. And as soon as I put my spirit inside you, you're going to start to want, want to obey my word, to follow my leading. Through that relationship, God is changing our desires. There it is there. Then secondly, okay, so there's the natural desire. God's changing us so we will naturally desire this holy lifestyle. It's called conviction. Now it's inside us. We, we naturally desire to not do that. We naturally desire to do that. However, we're not perfect in that outworking, are we? Anyone here perfect in it? You nailed it? Naturally, yeah, pretty close, Mikey. You actually are pretty close. I love you, Mikey. You are, you're awesome, buddy. Well, now it's our choice. And so let's look at all these verses where Paul or different writers in Scripture are like, hey, hey, come on, come on, keep choosing the right thing. Keep choosing the right thing. Before we jump into it, what's, what's the author's goal there? What are they trying to achieve? Trying to help you see, hey, Sunday night, it's easy to choose God. Hey, Monday morning, when you're by yourself, no one's watching, let's keep making the right choice. It's like the author just being, hey guys, let's keep making the right choice. Let's keep making the right choice. In that tough moment when you want to to give up or respond in an ungodly way, hey, let's keep making the right choice. Let's keep making the right choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 19 and 20. Today, this is God speaking to his people. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and cursing. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. The weight in that. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. How incredible is that? Like God going, oh, oh, that you would choose life. So he's, even though he's at work in your world right now, he's not controlling you like a puppet. You notice that? You're not a robot. God didn't pick your outfit for tonight. There are so many things that you have to keep choosing, keep choosing, keep choosing. And that is where God's like, if you choose this though, how's this? If you choose this, Oh, that you would choose life so you and your descendants might live. You need to know that other people are going to reap a reward based off your tough choices today. Other people are going to benefit from you fighting today to choose the right thing. 
How many people out there? How many, literally, our, our literal kids, like I've got two kids at home right now and I'm thinking about them. I'm like, man, their life's going to be blessed if I make tough choices today against my flesh. But also people in the community right now, I'm thinking about people out there, man, they're going to be blessed if I keep making tough choices now. And those tough choices get easier the more I do it. But as soon as you stop fighting and think, oh, I've got this, I'm nailing this, you'll start digressing. Romans chapter 6, 22. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Paul's like, hey, now do it. This in the you know, context of the, the passage, is like, you've been set free from the dominion of sin. You're not a slave of sin anymore. You're a slave of righteousness. It's a momentary thing. He's saying it's happened. Now do what leads to holiness. Yeah, yeah, there's an aspect of you right now that you are holy. Right now. You are holy positionally. You are holy as a son and daughter of the Most High God. We looked at it two weeks ago. You are holy right now, Christian. However, you guys, not just the Romans, you guys, there are things you can do this week that lead to holiness. So as opposed to just taking notes of what I'm saying, if, if you're taking notes, what could you do this week that leads to holiness? What are some practical things you could do? I'll let you write it down because then you're accountable to you. Write down, what am I doing that's actually leading to holiness? I'm not stagnant and I'm not going backwards. I'm, I'm, I'm growing, leading to holiness. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, 14, we looked at this the other week as well. For by the one offering he has made perfect, past tense, those who are being made perfect. Holy. Do you notice that our, our being made holy is own, only in an overf overflow of what he's done? And so that should help us as well. So when God calls you to be a Christian, when God calls you to live a holy life, he's not saying, hey, do it yourself. He's like, keep looking back at the cross. Look back at what I've done for you. Look back at how much I love you. Look back at how you couldn't save yourself, so I saved you. Look back at that. And then from that, you'll be made holy. From that one offering, he's made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. I, I, I want to. I want to kill sin in my heart. I want to keep killing sin in my life because I keep looking at what Jesus did for me on the cross. And suddenly I don't feel forced. It's not. Have you ever heard of the term asceticism? Has anyone ever heard of that? It's a practice where you will physically punish yourself to uh, empathize with Jesus' pain on the cross. And when you physically punish yourself, that physical pain, that's how you are made holy. It's a crazy thought. People used to put, uh, get a whip and put glass and metal in it and whip their own back. Martin Luther, even as a monk, used to put glass on a staircase and climb up the staircase so his knees would rip apart. It's asceticism. People think through physical pain, I'll be made like Jesus. Jesus took the physical pain. So that you don't have to have physical pain now. It's not like, oh, this sucks being made holy. I hate being a Christian trying to be holy. It's not that. It's the joy in it, guys. I want you to catch that. The joy and the difficultness at the same time. To constantly say no to what our fleshly nature wants and say yes to God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. It's my last one in our choice. But how's this? Hey, beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, 
perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Such an encouragement. He's got, guys, let's, let's keep getting rid of that old lifestyle. This is the Dan Gorey version. Hey, guys, let's just keep getting rid of that old lifestyle. Let's just do our best. Let's keep getting rid of that old lifestyle. Perfecting holiness, staring at how great God is. Staring at the bigness of God, the wonder of God, the awe of God. We'll be made holy that way. Let's just keep working at it. You might take three steps forward and one step back. That's okay. Let's just keep working at it, right? Let's not think, I'm I'm there. You're not there. There's no such thing as there. There is eternity with Jesus. (laughs) There's no such thing there as this side of eternity. We've got to keep working at it. We've got to keep cleansing ourselves from that. And I'll finish with this. So that's natural desire. God wants to change your natural desires, but he also is calling you and commissioning you to make choices that lead to holiness. And I'll finish with this. So you see, it's not just these two uh, opposing, seemingly opposing hands at work of a, a deity in yourself, but together. So God is at work. We are making choices, but I want to finish with this moment I see in Scripture again and again and again of together. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. I call this, I think there's a gospel to the non-Christian, which is all about God's love, Jesus' death on the cross. You know, Romans 5, 8, while you're still sinners, Christ showed his love for you by dying for you. There's there's a gospel to those who call themselves non-Christians, but to the Christians... I think this is the gospel to Christians. I want you to catch this. I think this is the gospel to Christians. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? How many people, when you've tried to make yourself holy, it burns you out? You will get worn out trying to impress God with how holy you are. That is exhausting. So what does he say? Just come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn. Learn. This, is, this statement is holiness to me. The unforced rhythms of grace. Is that the most beautiful phrase you've ever heard? Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Oh, sorry, I won't lay anything ill-heading, ill-head, heavy or ill-fitting on you. It's the end of the night. Unforced rhythms of grace. Unforced rhythms of grace. I want you to redefine holiness in your mind to that statement. Unforced rhythms of grace. Everything I do, it's from grace and grace throwing, flowing through me. Unforced. It's not, I've got to be holy. If I'm spending time with Jesus and watching him and learning from him and walking with him, Suddenly holiness is an unforced rhythm of grace because I'm not trying to please him. I'm just trying to be with him. And when I'm with him, all these other desires die and his desires become fruit in my world. Galatians 5 speaks about the fruit of the spirit. 
You know the old truth. I've said it before. I'll say it again. A tree never fights to produce fruit. A tree fights to get water. Fruit naturally happens. You don't need to fight to produce holiness. You need to fight to get to Jesus. Fruit will happen. Holiness will happen if you just spend more and more time with God.